Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Man, hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning, Northeast. Good morning here at Providence Road. Uh, how about we do this uh, to get us started this morning? We do a little show of hands, action, both campuses. Uh, raise your hand if you love a good meal with good people. Good meal with good people. Yeah, good meal with good people. I love it. I don't think there's anything that will bring people together, that will deepen relationships, knock down some barriers like a good meal with good people, right? In fact, Courtney and I, we talk about y'all from time to time. Uh, not all the time, but sometimes talk about y'all. And what we'll say is we'll be talking about somebody that we've met recently and she's great about it. She'll say, you know what? We should have them over for dinner. Right? It's a common thing we say because we know if we get around the dinner table together, we'll get to know one another, get to deepen our relationship with each other. Right? In fact, uh, because being a foodie is so in vogue right now, what we started doing is saying, all right, instead of just coming over for dinner, let's go out and we'll say, you pick the restaurant, pick your favorite restaurant because we even get to know you by where we go out to dinner, where you pick you out to dinner. Um, this week, I didn't tell him I was going to do this, Rob Mallard, I went out to lunch with him. Rob is legendary among the people in our church for his taste in food, okay, for his understanding of cuisine of all kinds. So it's like Rob's picks the spot, and whatever Rob orders, you order, all right, should you ever go, because that's what's best for you. And we, had, we went out to the Jasmine Grill and had the best kebabs and lentil soup I've ever had in my life. And while we were doing that, we got to know each other a little bit more, talk about life and ministry, y'all. That's what meals do. Meals, they strengthen, they deepen relationships. Um, you know, I'll prove it to you. Like, they even tell you where you are in a relationship. You know what I mean? Because there's people that you'll go out to dinner with, and then there's the people you have Thanksgiving dinner with, right? That's a different crowd. Some of y'all have been dating for two weeks, and we're happy for you and everything. But if the first thing that he does, the first date he invites you out on is Thanksgiving dinner with his parents, yeah, that's right. That means something, right? He is really into you. If, however, he takes you out to Chili's on a Tuesday night, that, that whole relationship is doomed, all right? You need to get out now. Bottomless chips and salsa cannot save you from that thing, all right? It's no good. Meals matter, right? Even the what table you gather around says something about the relationship, and we use them for everything, right? We mark birthdays with meals. We mark Weddings and funerals, uh, big occasions like a promotion or a transition. You know, hey, I'm moving. Let's have one last meal together. Hey, I just arrived in town. I need to uh, let's have a meal together, get to know one another. They matter such, so, so, so much. And I bring that up because today we're going to look in Exodus 11 and 12 at the first meal that God gives to his people. All right. If you're new with us, we're walking through the book of Exodus Together, we're so, we've started Exodus 1, kind of chapter by chapter, walking through this first section of Exodus where God is delivering his people. And right here, what we're going to see today, we're going to see the worst plague. We've been seeing plagues for two weeks, and we're going to see the worst one this week, the 10th plague. It's going to be the one that breaks Pharaoh's spirit, and he's finally going to say, all right, go, get out of here. Moses, Aaron, and all of 
God's people, get out of here. And then what's going to happen is before you would think that God would go, okay, so ready, set, go. Instead, God says, yes, get ready. I want you to get ready. In fact, put your sandals on, get your staff in your hand, pack your bags. But first, you're going to gather around the table. I'm going to give you a meal because a meal is where relationships are strengthened and deepened. And this is going to be the meal where my relationship, God says to his people, is going to be strengthened and deepened with you. And you're going to keep eating this meal year after year. And every time you do, you're not just going to recall theological information. By having this meal together, you're going to experience your theology again and again. It's a powerful meal that the Lord institutes right here. And so today we're going to take a look at it. And y'all, man, what makes me love this so much is we're also going to see how Jesus interpreted this meal for the church. And we're going to finish as a church taking this meal together. And what I love about it, what's so good about today is that this meal communion that we'll take together is powerful. It is a holy sacred, Jesus-instituted means by which we don't just recall our theology, we experience the gospel again. It's where each of us is confronted personally with the gospel. To eat it is to say you believe. To abstain from it is to say you don't believe. There's no middle ground. That's what I love. You can't avoid Jesus today. A mentor of mine um, told me recently that he saw more people finally come to faith in Christ during communion than anywhere else because it's so personal. I mean, you can hear a sermon and you can assume I'm talking to somebody else, all right? I know you do. But at the table, it's an invitation from Christ to you. It's to you, not to just anybody else, to you. It's to you to establish or to deepen a relationship with Jesus. And so the question I kind of want underneath everything you're hearing today is, are you ready to accept Christ's invitation and come to the table? Are you ready to come to the table? And I'm going to give you the chance to say yes or no once we land in communion today. All right, we'll see more of that in a second. We're going to start in Exodus 11, which we're going to start in a plague. And it's not going to be that long. I know it seems like a little bit of a strange way to get to the table, but that's the way the scripture does it, and it's very intentional. So let's dive in. Exodus 11, verse 1. Y'all ready? Yeah. Yeah, Let's go. All right. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he'll let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. I dare you to try that on your way out today. (laughs) The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, now Moses is coming to Pharaoh, right? This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. There will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But, and we've seen this a few times if you've been following with us, against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl. So that you may know 
Always, time and again, the why behind the plagues, so that there's a purpose, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me saying, get out. You and all the people who follow you, after that, I will get out. And look at this. Moses went out from Pharaoh's presence fiercely angry. Angry at the unnecessary, what he's feeling, loss of life. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. A few themes are showing up that we have seen throughout our series in Exodus, all in this short little chapter. And that's all of chapter 11. You see the sovereignty of God showing up again. I'm going to bring one more plague. Pharaoh's not going to listen. The Egyptians are going to give you gold and silver. And what we'll see next week, every last one of these things do come to pass. And it's the theme that we've been saying all series. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. This is good for us that our God will do what he says, which means all the promises that we, the church, have in Christ, he's going to fulfill them. He keeps his promises. Another theme, we see our God sparing the lives of his people. The plague is against those who are against him, but he spares his people. Why? So that you may know that there's a distinction between Egypt and Israel, and he still does that. And the means by which he identifies his people from not his people is going to be the table, which will bring me back to our question today. Are you ready to come to the table? When a strange turn of events from here, we get a pause before the infliction of the plague. There's a pause between the announcement and infliction, which is unusual. Up to this point, there's been little, if any, pause between the two, right? But here's a pause, and the pause comes for instructions about this meal. That's because this meal happens between the announcement of the plague, you're going to catch this because symbolism is going to be all over our time together today. The announce, there's, there's a pause between the announcement of the last plague and the actual deliverance of the people. They're supposed to go ahead and celebrate their freedom even while they are still in Egypt. Catch that? Just keep watching. Chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, this is great, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Whatever's about to happen is so important that they will rebuild the calendar around it. This moment, now, right now, that's the start of your year. Roughly translates to March, April, by the way, pretty close to where we are right now. And he's saying, whatever, this is so significant. It's like your birthday. This is your birthday right now. Verse Verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each, must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. All right, heads up. For those of you newer to the Bible, when you see unblemished male lamb in Scripture, you got to star that, you got to highlight that. John the Baptist is going to see Jesus coming towards him, and he's going to shout, Behold, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. That's not random. That's John interpreting who Jesus is through the lens of this meal we are reading about right here. Verse 6, you're to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. All right. Take the blood of the lamb. Remember, I want you, you're thinking symbolism all throughout this. Take the blood of the lamb and make it your visible sign over your home. Why? Y'all, God, the omniscient, all-knowing God of the universe, didn't like need them to do this so he knew who was where. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't for God. It wasn't their little ID to make sure he got the right one. It was their public confession. You either belong to Egypt or you belong to God. There was no third way. And the blood on the doorpost is you saying, we belong to the one true God. And there's a big word here to some of you who live like there is a middle ground where you can just be lukewarm about God. Like you believe, but you're not like one of those super religious people. That's what you think about them. I don't know what that is, but that's not a biblical category that you're sitting in. Jesus does not have acquaintances. Jesus does not have a LinkedIn network. All right. He got family and he got enemies. And the family comes around the table and says, yes, I belong to Christ. I'm his and he is mine. And enemies say otherwise. And he says, some are going to be surprised. He teaches, Jesus teaches, some are going to be surprised at the last day because they thought by doing some religious things that they would find themselves around the table. And he says, no, depart from me. I don't know you. You did a bunch of things, but you never sat down with me at the table. Y'all, God is all about relationship. The question is, do you know him? Does he know you? That's a warning that Jesus gives. It's a warning for us. Some of you will be surprised. I don't want that to be anyone here. I don't want you to be surprised about where you stand with Christ. There's no middle ground. If you think there is middle ground where you can be wishy-washy, you're probably not family. And today needs to be the day that changes. Let's keep going. Chapter 12, verse 8. They're to eat the meat at night. They should eat it, roast it over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over a fire. God loves grilling out. No, that's, I was just... Its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. See what I was, see what I was talking about earlier? You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You're to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. Pick up on verse 11. How you eat it. Ready. Prepared to leave. This is a meal filled with anticipation. Instead of being plagued, you're being fed, and you're preparing for the deliverance that God has promised you for 430 years. A lot of meals, y'all, are held in celebration of looking back. This one's looking ahead. And that tone of anticipation is very central, and we'll see it in a little bit, to how Christ interprets this meal for the church, looking ahead at the deliverance that God is about to bring to his people. Verse 12, 
I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood is the distinguishing mark. When I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where the name, if you're, again, newer to the Bible, this is where the name Passover comes from. Passover, the destroyer, as God calls himself, the destroyer, as God calls himself, in verse 23, will see the blood and pass over that house. Because the blood of the lamb is protecting the house. No house, listen, no house just gets a free pass. Every person in every house deserves the plague of death coming to it, but God made a way for his people to be spared. Amen. The blood of the lamb. I can't help but think of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, you can go look it up later. He says in verse 18, you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors. You were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. And I emphasize that because of the very clear, powerful connection this has to the life and death of Jesus. Like the blood of the lamb protected Israel from the wrath of God, his blood protects us from the wrath of God for our sins. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down a little bit to verse 24 in chapter 12, if you're following along. Moses tells them, or God tells them, Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you're still to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. And so the people knelt low and they worshiped. Now, this meal of forward-looking anticipation has a major element of remembrance to it, year after year. And when your children say, why do we do this? Because this is what kids do about everything. Why, 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 why? All the time, right? And we love them for it. They're inquisitive, and it's awesome, and we have an answer. It's in remembrance of the Passover. So this meal is anticipation of coming deliverance, and remembrance of deliverance already brought at the same time. There was this old rabbinic saying that they would do um, over this meal. They would say, in this night, we were delivered, and in this night, we will be delivered. As a modern Jewish scholar speaks of Passover time, says that it's permeated by a thirst for and an immediate expectation of salvation. Yes, while they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, the people of God throughout the Old Testament are still awaiting people, a people anticipating full deliverance from their oppression. Throughout history, after this deliverance, they keep the Passover tradition, and they keep getting disappointed. At the same time, year after year, they're having the Passover, they're getting disappointed by flawed saviors. Men like Saul, David, Hezekiah, and you could keep going, many more, feel like they might be finally the Messiah, finally bringing full deliverance only to disappoint them and prove flawed. And so they keep celebrating the Passover and waiting for deliverance. Every year on this night, 
We were delivered, and we will be delivered. And they'd finish the Passover often to one another, saying, maybe next year in Jerusalem. Maybe next year in Jerusalem. Because that's where the deliverance would be. It would be a Jerusalem where they would come, and they would say, free from all oppression. So they would say it in anticipation, maybe next time in Jerusalem. That's the Passover. The people of God, not just remembering their theology, but experiencing it. The blood and the table being the identifying mark of God's people and the visible reminder of where their hope really is in a God who has saved them and will save them. Now, let me show you what Jesus does with this meal. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. This hour is the hour of his arrest, the hour of his death, the hour known since the beginning of time. Just as God knew when the 10th plague would be, which would kill the firstborns, so he knew when the hour of Jesus' arrest would be that would lead to the death of his firstborn son. Verse 15, then he said to them, I fervently desire to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Look at how important this meal is to him. Before I suffer. It's so central, right? This is bigger than Thanksgiving. This is bigger than all the other meals that we have to mark occasions altogether. This is the meal of remembrance for God's people. Tonight we have been delivered. Tonight we will be delivered. To celebrate it is to deepen relationship. And he says, before I suffer, what's he doing? He's likening himself to the Passover lamb. Just as the Passover lamb suffers and is slain to protect people from God's judgment of death, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's about to go the way of the lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says it. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And the primary identifier of Jesus in the book of Revelation, which I'm going to show you in a little bit, is this what? It's the lamb. That's how he's talked about. Is a lamb who is slain, yet risen, living, and reigning victorious. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again, Jesus says, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What's he doing? He's creating anticipation again. You guys eat and drink, I will. There will be a time where I'll eat and drink again, but not yet. There is a day coming. The kingdom of God is coming. God is bringing a final victory over sin and death. It's coming. And what will Jesus do to celebrate it? Sit down at the table with his people and have a meal. In fact, Revelation says it will be a wedding feast. But in the meantime... They are to eat this meal in anticipation, in remembrance, in anticipation. We were delivered. We will be delivered. There should be, y'all, every time we sit down at the table together. Thanksgiving, we were delivered. In anticipation, we will be delivered. We don't look forward to Jerusalem, but to heaven itself. Maybe next time. Not just in Jerusalem, maybe next time in heaven. That should be our word to one another. Maybe next time in heaven. I read about a small rural church years ago that would take communion, and as a part of their communion practice, they would end their service going over to the windows 
of their little church building and looking up, waiting to symbolize hearts, waiting in anticipation for Christ to return. Because all of this, all of this life becomes rehearsal for heaven when you get this. That anticipation for Christ's return, it starts to seep into everything we do. Everything we do here is rehearsal for that day. I'm not going to give myself to empty talk or empty things or empty relationships because I'm looking forward to heaven. I will be delivered. I'm not going to give my heart and my soul to the things of this world that will rot and fade. Yes, we're created to work, but work was not created to be my master. No, heaven's coming. And the meal reminds me of that. Sets me free from that again. The meal I'm taking with my church family reminds me of that. Y'all, communion, I think in many ways, should be the greatest deterrent to sin that we have because it expands the greatness of God again in our hearts and minds. Instead of just trying to get away from sin, the table that we come back back to makes our hearts fill with thanksgiving and anticipation and we love our God again and that greater love, that greater love, Chalmers said a long time ago, should compel us to just leave these lesser loves of sin behind. Because we've been grabbed by a greater love. That's the table. Watch what Jesus says. He reinterprets Moses' very instructions of this meal and he gives it to them. He took bread And he gave thanks and he broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, his body. What does he mean? He himself is what he's saying. He himself is going to be the fulfillment of everything that the Passover for all these years, all these centuries has been anticipating. He is the one who will finally deliver God's people, not from the temporary kingdoms of this world, but from the kingdom of darkness, from sin and Satan himself. His body is going to be given to protect them from judgment, thus allowing them to walk free in deliverance. In the same way, verse 20, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The blood on the doorpost. Jesus says, no longer are you participating in the deliverance bought by that blood. There is a new covenant that I'm making. He's fulfilling Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. A new covenant I will give to them, one that I will write on their hearts. You're not going to look to Moses and the law. You're going to look to Christ. Jesus is saying this table with this meal, this is now the meal of the people of God. Because his blood is going to be spilled so that those who will put it not over the doorposts of their houses, but over the doorposts of their hearts will be spared from the judgment on sin that their sin deserves. See, so much of Jesus' ministry was spent going to the outsider, going to people who thought that they could never have a place at God's table and bringing them close. And here among some everyday guys, who had decided, yes, I choose to follow Jesus because he chose me. He first loved me. What did he do? He invited them to the table. And now they're learning his way is the only way. But each of them had to accept the invitation. They had to. They couldn't just assume because some others in their family had accepted it, they were good. They had to accept it. 
They couldn't just be around Jesus. They had to say yes to what the meal meant. They had to say yes to his body given for them. Yes to his blood shed, not just for their protection from sin, but for their forgiveness of sin. And that invitation is to you and I today. It's to eat in remembrance of what Christ has done and in anticipation of the day we will eat at the wedding feast with Jesus himself reunited with the saints of old. I want to read you from the end of Revelation a little bit from verses from chapters 21 and 22 to set us. It's, I think often in the church we set our minds and we are one of our values is we keep the gospel at the center of all we do. So we're pretty um, consistent on remembrance. I want us to think about anticipation of that day. Revelation 21, verse 9, one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's the church. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city. This is Jerusalem now coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. You go down to verse 21. The 12 gates of the city are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I want you to just let your mind go there. Chapter 22, the last chapter in Scripture Verse 1, then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are healing, or for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The curse is the curse of sin, finally gone forever. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So it goes down to verse 17. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. The bride's the church. It's the believers even here today at Mercy Church announcing to those of you who have not yet come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. And the Bible ends. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Scripture ends in glorious anticipation of that day and that meal. And it ends in an invitation to you. Come. You who are thirsty, come. Remembrance and anticipation. Come, Lord Jesus. So I want to invite you to the table today. 
to experience your theology as Christ has called you to. I'll give you a couple of instructions for you, for your heart, and then the practical instructions of how we'll do this. It's three ways to come to the table, really, or three things you need to consider. First, you got to come to the table repentant. Some of you, today is the start of your calendar. This is the first month. Today should be your birthday, where your relationship with Jesus starts. The only way to the table is through the cross. Starts at the cross. There's no lamb, though. There's no lamb for you to slaughter today. He's already been slaughtered. And so if you've never personally placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to come to what we'll just call the altar. The church that I grew up in, that was what we called the front of the room, front of the stage, was the altar. And it was that symbolic of I'm coming down to give myself to God. So I want you, we're going to have it, both of our campuses, we're going to have um, pastors right up front for you to come. And as everybody starts moving to the table, you need to move to the altar. Again, Joseph Anderson there at Northeast will give you instructions. I'll give you instructions here at Providence Road. But you need to come to the altar and then to the table. Because you need to be delivered. You need to receive the deliverance Christ has won for you. And then celebrate that one day we will be delivered in full. Come repentant. Christian, come repentant again. Repentant of your sin you've been hanging on to. Receiving again the forgiveness that God has already won for you. Come thankful. Thankful there's no more striving. Your salvation is one. Come in remembrance, thankful for what he's done, and come hopeful. This all ends in victory. In victory, in the beautiful eternity that our hearts pound for, which is why we're never satisfied in this world, because there's a world we long for, and it's coming, and it's victory won by Christ himself, and we'll be with him. So come hopeful and thankful. I'm going to pray for us, and then, again, our campus director, Joseph, will give you guys instructions there at Northeast, and I'll instruct us here. Let's pray together. God, thank you. That in your kindness, you would give us this meal to draw us back to you. That we can feel and taste our salvation afresh. It is good and right for us to celebrate it, and so we do, to your glory today. I want to give you a second before I close this prayer for you to respond to this invitation to the table. In a minute, everybody's going to get up and start moving. Do not, do not, do not go to the table if you have not said yes to God's offer of forgiveness for your sins. In fact, Scripture says you would drink judgment on yourself if you do it. You need to go to the altar. You need to respond and say, yes, I receive I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. I receive his forgiveness and my life is his. That's your response in this moment. And I want to give you the chance to do just that. Say, yes, God, I believe. He died for me. He is the lamb slain for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I believe he reigns in victory. And one day, I'll be with him.
Father, thank you. We praise you. You are good to us. We celebrate remembering what you have done and in great anticipation of what you're going to do. We celebrate with our eyes lifted up, the eyes of our hearts lifted up on that day. And we pray it in anticipation, reunion with Christ himself. Amen. Amen.